Hey guys, welcome to the Empower Hair Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Aoife, and this is episode number 29. In today's episode, we are joined by Jen Dugard to talk about all things pelvic floor health and pre and postnatal exercise. So before we get into the episode, I'm just going to ask each of you to send this episode on to one person you know who is a mum, because the information in this episode is something that's really not spoken a lot about, and it's really important for anybody who's ever had a baby to be aware of what their pelvic floor does and how to strengthen their pelvic floor after pregnancy, no matter how long ago they had a baby. And even if you're listening to this as a coach, it's so important to be aware of what you need to do with a client while they're pregnant and after they've had a baby. So send it on to anyone you know who works with females, because I know from doing Jen's course last year, there was a lot that I learned and I've been able to apply with my clients because I do work with a lot of mums. So before we get into it, I'll give you a little bit of information on Jen and then I'll let her give you all the info on pre and postnatal exercise and training. So Jen Dugard is the founder of the Body Beyond Baby movement. She's the creator of the Safe Return to Exercise Accreditation for Fitness Professionals, which I completed last year and would highly recommend to anyone who is a coach. Jen has over 13 years experience within the fitness industry in a range of roles from personal trainer, outdoor group fitness trainer, business owner, and now educator. Jen's personal mission is to raise the standard of the fitness industry, especially within the pre and postnatal space, which she does through many of her courses. And she also is a huge advocate of strengthening relationships between fitness industry, allied health and the medical industry, which we talk a bit about in this episode as well. So as I said, please feel free to share this episode with anyone you know who is a mom because it will be really useful information for them. You can also share it with anyone you know who is a coach and just spread the word so people are more aware of what is important when it comes to training pre and postnatally and also during pregnancy. And honestly, there are so many things that you'll learn from this episode. Um, I'm really excited for Jen just to talk through all of these topics. So welcome to the podcast, Jen. Very nice to be here. (laughs) Really excited to chat with you today because I've actually done your course, which is Safe Return to Exercise for Mums. um, And that's a course that you run for fitness professionals. Maybe actually we can even start off with you just explaining a little bit about that course, just in case there is anyone listening who is a PT or trainer that wants to learn a bit more about working with mums. Absolutely. So Safe Return to Exercise is a an accreditation. I used to say two days, but given we went onto the whole virtual format, it's basically 16 hours um, of time spent with, with myself or one of our master trainers learning everything that you need to know uh, as a fitness professional about working with pregnant and postnatal mums. And when I say postnatal, I mean from the day they've had a baby until until for the rest of their life, basically. Awesome. And we're going to chat all about the ins and outs of that in a moment. But before we get started, I have three fun questions to kick things off. So uh, first question for you is, what does your morning routine look like, Jen? I was thinking about this when you sent it through and I have I have my ideal morning routine and I have the actual morning routine. And an ideal morning routine for me is I get up at 5.15, I go to the gym, I train from six till seven, I come home and then start being a mum. Sometimes the actual morning routine does not get me to the gym um, and I'm chasing my tail trying to get the kids out the door. 
in order to then get to the gym at about 9.30. So I love to start my morning routine with some exercise if I can. Um, and then like a lot of if people are listening and they are mums, which is the point of this conversation, they'll completely understand that mum-child juggle um, versus the way that you would love your morning to be. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that was a bit vague, but yes, ideally exercise, um, cooperative children, putting lunches in bags, making sure everyone's got everything and then calmly driving to school. Let's just, let's just say that doesn't always nice. work like that. Yeah. I like the ideal idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. next, question, next question for you is what is the best book you've read recently? Okay. I pulled this off my shelf. So I just read, it was a little while ago now. It was um, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Um, absolutely. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but I was going to say fucking awesome book um, for everybody that is a woman. <laughs> Have you read it? Yeah. I read it this year as well. Yeah. And there's a, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming up for me around my, I've got a 10 year old daughter so that, um, what am I, what are the molds that we're making her fall into? And she's quite a, an emotional, you know, she's got big emotions and big reactions and I don't want to tame that. I want to help her to be kind in the world and to respect people and herself, but I don't, I don't want to tame that in the way that we've traditionally told children to, to get into a box. So it's, there's a lot of stuff comes up with yeah, that. Such an interesting read and so interesting to be able to reflect on what we view as the role of women in society versus like, you know, how we actually want to be. Yep. Yep. I could talk so, about it all day. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I would read, I would read that a second time. Yeah. Yep. It's such a good book. And <laughs> uh, next question for you then is, are you a coffee or a tea person? I'm a coffee person now. I grew up in England, but I've never been a tea person. And I didn't drink coffee until about five years ago. And now I drink a iced latte, not warm coffee, always cold coffee. Really? Oh my gosh. I always have hot yeah. coffee, even if it's the hottest no. day of the year. <laughs> See, I'm the opposite. I'll have cold coffee. In fact, my local coffee shop keep buying ice in winter because I asked for iced coffee. I think I'm the only person you're that person. Buy ice for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the awkward person. Okay. Love us. And um, before we get started with everything, Jen, I wanted to maybe kick off with you telling us a little bit about how you got into the space of working with um, women postnatally. Absolutely. So I have been a fitness professional for a long time. Um, I have a 12 year old son and I was a personal trainer prior to that. And then when he was born, like a lot of fitness professionals that have babies, I was kind of thrust into this world of personal trainer, wanting to, to, to get fit, get fit again, I guess, um, with a small, with a small baby. So, um, three years into that journey, of training myself, I decide to, no, not three years, three months into him being in my world, I decided to go back into, to pick up where I left, left off in personal training and, but to turn my attention to working with, with mums, because I was lucky. I was lucky that I knew to take the time out for myself and get to the gym. I'll put my hand up and say, I did not know all of the things I did now. And I did some stupid ass things um, when I first went back into exercise, but I was looking around me. There was a lot of women that didn't have, didn't ask for the support to have their child looked after to go do some exercise. Um, and even if they got there, they wouldn't know where to start. So I guess that's what that, that's what got me here. Okay, great. And leading on from that, I guess, a question that a lot of women might have is where to start, you know, once they've had a baby and they want to get back into exercise, first of all, how long should they wait? And then, you know, what should they get started with? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, the first question being, how long should they wait? So the guidelines, the most recent guidelines, and they've been like this for quite some time, is six weeks after having a baby, if you've had a vaginal delivery, um, you can consider. And when I say consider, it's such an individual journey for everybody. So no one's saying that at six weeks postnatal, you must go back to exercise. If it takes you six months from an emotional perspective or a physical perspective, that's absolutely okay. But for those people that want to get back into the gym right now, it's six weeks after a vaginal delivery and eight to 12 weeks after a C-section, depending on how you're here. Healing. Um, and then you asked where they should start. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, so I guess understanding where your body is right now is the first place to begin. Um, understanding that your six-week checkup, although I just said you've got to wait for those six weeks or eight to 12 weeks after a C-section, that six-week checkup that you have with your midwife or your doctor or obstetrician is not, doesn't give you the tick of approval to go back to the exercise that you were doing beforehand. So my personal recommendation is that every postnatal woman um, in Australia and New Zealand, anywhere you have access to a women's health physiotherapist goes to see a women's health physio. Um, you have a pelvic floor as a woman. If you've given birth vaginally, you've pushed a baby through your pelvic floor. If you've given birth via a C-section, you still had a baby bouncing up and down on your pelvic floor for nine months. So understanding what is happening with that internal muscle is really important. And it's not really the role of a personal trainer to do that. Your personal trainer should be asking you about your pelvic floor and have some skills to be able to teach you about your pelvic floor. But it's the women's health physios that will be able to assess your pelvic floor and then also abdominal wall. Um, so the short answer to your question, I'm very good at going on tangents, is to understand them where their body's at right now and then choose the next right step for them. I like the long answers, so we're happy with as much information as you want to get. <laughs> long answers, and then I'll try and bring it back to the point so no one gets confused. <laughs> exactly. That's great. The more information, the better, as long as everyone can understand where we're going with it. Yeah. Um, another question on that one then would be, um, how can women understand a bit better, you know, what happens to their pelvic floor uh, mm. after childbirth and understand, you know, pelvic floor weakness a bit better? Can you explain that for us, perhaps? Yeah, so I guess I touched on it a little bit before, but the first thing to really understand is that your pelvic floor is an internal muscle. So if you are someone that works with a personal trainer, it doesn't matter how good they are at their job, they cannot see or feel your pelvic floor. So that's where the role of a women's health physio comes in. Some of the things that can happen to your pelvic floor um, in pregnancy, we've got the weight of the baby um, on the pelvic floor for that whole nine-month period. Um, and then as we move into childbirth, if you're choosing to um, have a vaginal delivery, then the pelvic floor has to stretch in order for, to push a baby out. Now, a couple of things that can happen to pelvic floor, um, you could have a baby that you're pushing for a really long period of time. So you can imagine if you're pushing a baby out for a long time, you've got extra downward pressure on your pelvic floor. Um, so therefore, we, that's a, a kind of a flag to go, maybe we need to be more aware of pelvic floor. Um, some other things that can happen is um, you might have a, an episiotomy and that's where the, the perineum, which is the bit that sits between the, 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 the 
entrance or the back of the vagina and the anus gets cut in order to try and prevent tearing. Um, So that can damage pelvic floor. You might also have tearing. Um, Tearing comes in grades, grade one, two, three, three A, B, C, and grade four. Um, And the further along those tears or the higher up in the number, the more severe the tear and that can potentially go into the anal sphincter as well. Um, So obviously that damages pelvic floor. That's all conversations around what we call the superficial pelvic floor. So the pelvic floor is split into two groups of muscles, one being the deep pelvic floor, the other one being the superficial pelvic floor. So those tears and things like that are more in relation to your superficial pelvic floor. Um, some women will have a an assisted delivery. So that might be a forceps. So think salad tongues <laughs> or a vontuse, um, which is the suction. You can think toilet plunger if people want to put you know, not, we're not quite sure what those things are, but again, they're devices in like medical instruments that are put into the vagina to help to assist a baby to come out. So all of those things can impact your pelvic floor postnatally. Okay. And what can women do then to help to strengthen their pelvic floor? Um, I guess maybe during pregnancy and after childbirth. Yeah, I'm glad you said the word strengthen. So one of the things I didn't touch on was um, we want a fully functioning pelvic floor. So yes, we want a nice strong pelvic floor, but we also have this um, section of the female of the female population that have what we call a hypertonic pelvic floor. And that means it's too tight. Um, And you can imagine if we think back to a pregnant woman with a pelvic floor that's too tight, when she comes to try and have a vaginal delivery, it's very hard to release a tight pelvic floor to push a baby out so she might be at some someone that is at higher risk of all of those things that we talked about before the instrumental delivery pushing for a long time um, and tearing or episiotomy so if we want to help someone have a functioning pelvic floor we want to make sure that they can contract and they can release so yes we want it to be strong but we want it to be functionally strong we don't want it to be tight and a tight a tight muscle is still a weak muscle so back to your question, one of the key things that we can do to help a woman to know that her pelvic floor is strong, functioning well and that it is strong and it has good endurance is to send her to a women's health physiotherapist who can use things like real-time ultrasound to look at her pelvic floor function. Does it does it lift a long way? Does it lift just a little bit? Do we think that maybe it is too tight and she can't relax it? Um, she can then also do an internal examination. So um Really, the only true way to know what your pelvic floor is doing is to see a women's health physiotherapist. Um, and then from that, they can prescribe a um, an individualized pelvic floor training routine, which may include strengthening, may include learning to relax pelvic floor. Perfect. And um, a really good point, I guess you touched on there, was the importance of visiting a women's health physio. And for a lot of women listening, they might not understand that there is a difference between a women's health physio and a regular physio. And as you mentioned, you know, the women's health physio can do that real-time ultrasound, they can do the internal examination, and they can then give you um, exercises that are um, individualized to what you need to strengthen or, you know, and result in a fully functioning pelvic floor after childbirth. So uh, I guess that's important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it it isn't like if you said, oh, I've seen my physio, it's like, were they a women's health physio? Um, That's super important. And then also making sure that the women's health physio is is doing real-time ultrasound and or an internal. Um, There is some things that we cannot see with real-time ultrasound. Um, 
and that will need to do an internal examination. But I would be um, wanting all of my pregnant and postnatal clients to see a women's health physio that does do an internal, um, ideally real-time ultrasound as well, because there's a big merit in the brain muscle connection for a, for a woman. Because if you can imagine, she, she's trying to learn how to either contract or relax a muscle that she can't see or, see or feel externally. So having that feedback, real-time ultrasound for anyone that's not sure is when you see a picture of, of someone announcing their pregnancy on Facebook and you see the image of the baby, um, that is u- done using real-time ultrasound and a women's health physio can look at pelvic floor function using that same machine. Um, so that can really help with a woman's kind of connection to that muscle. Great. And um, another question I had for you then would be, um, what would you say are the main postnatal issues that women experience? Oh, wow. Okay. So I would say the main postnatal things women experience, we in Safe Return to Exercise, we talk about the five key contraindications, which are things that over a decade of working face-to-face, one-on-one in groups with mums, I saw over and over and over again. Um, So number one would be any kind of pelvic floor dysfunction. So that could be hypertonic or it could be be weak. Um, Abdominal separation or diastasis recti, there's a bunch of different words that are used, which is where the muscles of the abdominal wall um, separate at the linear alba. and potentially can create some kind of dysfunction in that space. Um, Also, we see a lot of women with some kind of pelvic pain. So whether it's pubic symphysis, which is pain on the the bone at the front, um, sciatic pain, which could be down either the back of either leg, um, and also pelvic girdle pain, which relates to any other pain within the pelvis area. Then we also see a lot of wrist pain, so carpal tunnel syndrome or wrist pain or mum thumb, and then also knee pain. Because if you can imagine, there's a lot of mums doing the most physical job they've ever done in potentially the most deconditioned state they've ever been in. And they may have been sitting at a desk and now they're literally getting up up and down off the ground 10 times a day and they're maybe not as fit as they were or maybe they're carrying extra weight. So we do see quite a lot of knee pain as well. So they would be the five key physical things that we see. Okay. Right. Thanks to look out for and make adjustments for in your training. Um, and going back to one of those points there, abdominal separation is quite a common one. Yeah. Can you explain um, how that occurs? Yeah, sure. I'll do my anatomy lesson. <laughs> so basically, basically um, you've got four layers of abdominal muscles. Um, you've got rectus abdominis down the front, then you've got your external obliques, then your internal obliques, and then your transverse abdominis sits is all the way around from the back to the front. All of those muscles insert into the linear alba. And when you're pregnant, your stomach or your abdominal, your abdominal stretch and stretch and keep stretching to allow for the growth of the baby. And then at some point, the connective tissue down the middle, the linear alba, um, can separate because the muscles can't stretch anymore. Now, there's different, it's the, 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 this kind of field is developing lots. Like there's more, there's not a lot of research, but there's a lot more practice and kind of understanding what the muscles do and how they function and what, what matters and what doesn't. Um, so there is research out there to suggest that 100% of women will have some form of abdominal separation after having a baby. Um, we're then from a training perspective, perspective and a function perspective interested in um, the depth of that separation, the width of the separation, the length of the separation. And then we're also becoming more and more interested in what happens to that, the tone of the linear alba 
under a pre-activation. So if we teach her how to activate her pelvic floor and her TA, does that improve um, the functionality at the linear alba? So there's quite a bit to, to think about. Okay. And if a woman has abdominal separation after birth, what can they do to help with that? Yeah, again, it's interesting. So my first port of call would be to learn, properly learn how to do your pelvic floor and TA. Um, Because if you imagine a lot of people do, when they think about abdominal training, it's a lot of crunches, it's a lot of twisting exercises, and we kind of forget about that inner abdominal layer. Um, If you've got a a weakness or a separation at the linea alba that is quite deep, that means that the connective tissue here that holds everything together is not doing its job. So if you're just doing a lot of sit-ups and a lot of twisting, you're kind of building stronger and stronger layers on the outside without really building up that foundation on the inside. And that applies to someone that doesn't have separation as well. So it's not just people with abdominal separation. Um, Really the first point of call would be learning pelvic floor and TA, um, learning to downtrain your obliques until we know that your abdominal wall can cope with the level of um, intra-abdominal pressure or exercise that that bringing the obliques back in does. Um, and then building up with something like the Pilates type movements, like your opposite arms to leg extensions, knee drops, leg slides. Um, and again, maybe working with your women's health physio to determine the function of the linear alba and then when to add in exercises that potentially put more stress on the linear alba or not. Okay, great. And are there any exercises that new mums should avoid when going back to training? Yes. Yeah, so I guess it's hard. Yes. I'm going to, yes. <laughs> um, what I wanted to say was I'm more interested in the woman in front of me her birth experience, her pregnancy experience, what's happened before that, um, where her body is right now, and then saying what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Having said that, I know it's really helpful for people to be aware of some general guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, so general guidelines would be I would definitely be steering clear of um, sit-ups to begin with, any big twisting movements, um, anything that really kind of contracts and strengthens that the, the oblique muscles. Um, I'd also be steering clear of anything that creates what we call too much intra-abdominal pressure. Um, so anytime you do any exercise at all, you create intra-abdominal pressure and that pressure can only come out through a weaker abdominal wall or a weaker pelvic floor. So if you've got a mum whose pelvic floor isn't functioning well or her abdominal wall can't maintain control, we're going to be putting stress on those weak points. Um, so we want to avoid that. Um, a couple of w- ways that you can... No. So your abdominal wall, if you're postnatal and you have, you're doing any exercise that creates a, like a peak or any kind of doming. So you can basically cup your hand around the abdominal wall. I'd be encouraging you to take a step back, learn about pelvic floor TA and only go up to the level of that exercise where you can maintain abdominal control with pelvic floor and transverse abdominis activation. Um, and then with your pelvic floor, like you could be doing a back squat and pelvic floor is not necessarily, it's not going to hurt really if it's if it's weak, but if you're doing a back squat or any kind of exercise at all, and one, you can't really feel your pelvic floor. Um, if you feel any pressure or heaviness through your pelvic floor, um, or if you get any signs of pelvic floor weakness, so whether it's leaking, um, any kind of incontinence, anything kind of bulging into the vagina, we want to be make sure that we're kind of pulling back on, on any of those things and 
going to see a women's health physio to get those things checked out. Mm-hmm. So they're the main things I'd be aware of. Yeah, great points. And I think that's something that I've started discussing a lot with my clients as well that have had kids, you know, the importance of just being able to activate their pelvic floor and transverse abdominis, because it's not something that you'll generally have ever learned in your training. Um, you know, if you've worked with a coach before or um, even, you know, throughout pregnancy, they may not have ever become aware of this. So it's a really good yeah. starting point, I think, for a lot of women. Absolutely. And another question I had then was, are there any exercises that pregnant women should avoid? Yeah, so there's a bunch of exercises that pregnant women might want to avoid as well. So um, things like, I mean, it's not really an exercise, but being aware of um, training to about 7 out of 10 um, in terms of perceived rate of exertion. So we used to say 140 beats per minute. Um, It's not so much sticking to 140 now. Um, The the heart rate in pregnancy is naturally elevated. So if we can stick to 7 out of 10 for most people, and that's across everything. So if you're you're used to lifting heavy, I'd be dropping your, you know, your, your max max weights from a 10 out of 10 down to a 7 out of 10. If you're um, elevating your heart rate or exert like effort that you're exerting, I'd just be sitting at that 7 out of 10 kind of pace. Um, I would, what we want to do in pregnancy is start to down train that outer abdominal wall. So that would be cutting out those sit-ups, twisting movements, anything that's strong oblique activation, because you can imagine if you're pregnant and your abdominal wall is going to grow over time, we want to have those muscles able to stretch with a growing tummy. Um, When they're not able to stretch, that's when there's extra stress on the linear alba and that's when the separation could potentially be more severe. Um, So if we start to downtrain that from the get-go, I'm a big fan of, of stopping all of that exercise as soon as you find out you're pregnant. Some people will say, well, you know, could we keep going to the first trimester? You could, but why? You know, what's the, and that's another question that you you want to ask throughout training yourself in pregnancy. What is the risk versus the reward? Um, so I'm also a big fan of advising women to stop running by about 18 to 20 weeks. Um, and the reason for that being risk and reward, like we, we don't have to functionally we don't need to run anymore. We're not, we don't have to run away from lions, tigers and bears. Um, so we can choose to run or not run. And for those women that kind of go, oh yeah, but I like running. I like running for my headspace. What I know about the women that want to keep running in pregnancy is they're the ones that really want to get back to running postnatally. So if we can introduce a different cardiovascular exercise for a relatively short amount of time, we can preserve their pelvic floor, we can preserve their joints, so their pelvis, their knees, their ankles, whatever it may be. And hopefully if we do everything well, we can get that woman back to running earlier in the postnatal period. Um, I'm really glad you actually brought up running there because that popped into my head a while ago and then (laughs) I didn't ask the question. But I know a lot of women listening to this might be thinking then when can they go back to running after having been? Yeah, so um, I guess the return to running depends on your... I guess all your body function, right? Is your pelvic floor functioning well? Can it cope with running? What kind of delivery did you have? Did you have a very long pushing period? Therefore, we don't want you to return to running as quickly, potentially, because we need to rebuild pelvic floor. Do you have a prolapse? Like there's a whole bunch of 
questions around returning to running. Um, let's say, for example, if you'd been a runner beforehand um, and you'd been training with me, I would have advised you to go and see a women's health physio in pregnancy. Um, the reason I would have done that is to make sure that you know how to relax your pelvic floor as well as the strength of your pelvic floor so that if you want to have a vaginal delivery, we know that you've got more chance of relaxing pelvic floor because we know that you can um, to eat more easily push a baby out if that's even a thing. I don't know if those words go together, more <laughs> easily push a baby out. But that's okay. Um, so if you've been like this ideal case, you've been a runner beforehand, you've stopped running at about 18 to 20 weeks, you've been to see a women's health physio, you've learned how to activate your pelvic floor TA, you've been doing what we call rebuild from the inside out exercises that a lot of people do postnatally, but you did them in pregnancy. So you've been building from the inside out. You've basically treated pregnancy as the off season. You might've done some calf raises, some extra glute work, um, some VMO work, all of that stuff that is a runner, you kind of go, I know I should be doing that, but I just never have time. And you've used that pregnancy time to do that then maybe you've been you've had a relatively straightforward delivery and I say that with with hesitancy if anyone's laughing at is there a straightforward delivery um and then uh, postnatally you've gone back to the women's health physio after your six-week checkup then you've been doing your pelvic floor and TA exercises you may be someone who can return to running relatively quickly postnatally and that would be my ideal outcome for every single pregnant runner out there let's take it easy do all the right things, preserve your pelvic floor and return you to running more quickly versus someone who's just decided to run throughout their whole pregnancy, has had no advice. Maybe they've had a hypertonic pelvic floor, which maybe has led to a long pushing phase. Maybe they couldn't even push the baby out, which then led to an emergency C-section. And then we've got a much longer recovery and the return to running is going to take longer. Um, yeah, so it's... I would say if you're pregnant and you're listening, set yourself up for success and follow those kind of guidelines to return to running quicker postnatally. Um, and then if, you, if you're struggling postnatally, take your time. Um, if your return to running is longer and more frustrating, just allow it to be longer at the moment and then know that potentially, again, you're then setting yourself up to be long, running for, for many, many more years into the future. Okay. And my final question for you then on this is um, just on um, women returning to exercise postnatally. Say if there's somebody listening to this and, you know, their kids are maybe, you know, more grown up now, like say, you know, four or five, six, but they uh, have never actually addressed any mm. pelvic floor weakness previously. What can they do now to help themselves? Yeah, really, really glad you brought this up because I think one of the things that we fall into is thinking that postnatal has a time frame. Um, so I asked, and you'd know, like I asked the question in the course, like when as a personal trainer, do you not need to worry about your mum clients anymore? I love that question and it was Same. always <laughs> It's a great question. And sometimes we get six weeks. Like once they've had their six-week checkup, I don't need to worry about it. Um, we get once they finish breastfeeding, we get six months, we get 12 months. But like you've just kind of alluded to is postnatal is forever. So once you've had a baby, you're always postnatal. Um, and the, the shame is that there's many women out there with older children, um, so whether that's three or four or whether that's 13 or 14, living with contraindications that were potentially caused by pregnancy or childbirth. 
and they're not getting any help because one, they might think that the, that they just have to live with it for the rest of their life because it's a byproduct of having be, having a child, or two, because nobody's asking them the questions. So it's it's rare that you go into a gym environment. Hopefully, it's becoming less rare, less rare a gym environment or work with a personal trainer when you have a ten year old and they ask you about your pelvic floor. And then if you say you've got pelvic floor weakness, they can then backtrack and go, "Okay, I know it was a long time ago, but tell me about your birth experience. Tell me about your post." experience have you ever seen a women's health physiotherapist and going back to your question if you're a mum who's had a child any time in your lifetime and you're suffering or you're experiencing any kind of pelvic floor weakness or anything else it could be pelvic pain it could be I don't know maybe you've got a hernia at your abdominal wall that you've never had addressed go and see a women's health physiotherapist um, they are we're very lucky in Australia. I deliver some courses in Taiwan and they do not have women's health physios in Taiwan. Um, in Australia, in New Zealand, in Singapore, we we can um, we can refer our clients or as a mum, we can go and seek out the service of a women's health physiotherapist who can really help us to put the pieces together and literally change the quality of life that you experience as a, as a woman. So right. massive, massive thing. Like we've had... Um, trainers do the course that have gone home and had a conversation with their mum and then they've realised that mum's in her 60s, 70s and she's been suffering pelvic floor stuff since they were born and then they send them to a women's health physio and it can be an absolute game. I think it's such a shame that that we just don't know this stuff and it's just it's not general knowledge. So women are suffering in silence, which then affects their relationship and then affects their sense of self and then affects all of these other things, their mental health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I hope <sighs> that... <laughs> By talking through that and answering that question, hopefully, um, you know, somebody listening might be able to then reach out to a women's health physio and help themselves. I hope so. I really hope so. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Jen. It's been a really great chat. Before you go, can you let the listeners know a little bit more about where they can find you and where they can find more information about your programs and so on? Absolutely. So um, we have a website, which is called bodybeyondbaby.com.au. That website is set up as the go-to place for mums to find a fitness professional that knows how to work with them. Um, So they're all accredited and working with women's health physiotherapists. Um, And if you're a fitness professional, you can also jump on that website and there's a bit that says find a, no, become a trainer. Um, If you're a mum that's listening going, I need to see a women's health physio, we've recently put a um, a section on that website that is find a physio. So we've listed physios across Australia and New Zealand. So you can go on there and do a little search and and find a physio as well. Um, And I love hanging out on Instagram. So if anyone's on Instagram, it's just my name. (laughs) well I'll put all the links in the show notes below so everyone can find those uh, quite easily thanks again Jen and that brings us to the end of today's episode thank you so much for listening if you learned something from this episode please share it to your Instagram stories so more people can learn a bit more about the pelvic floor and pre and postnatal training definitely tag Jen at Body Beyond Baby. You can tag myself at Actively Aoife and you can tag the podcast at empowerher.fitness. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm sure you all listening know at least one person who is a mom. So please send this episode on to them so they can learn a bit more as well and become more informed on these topics. Thanks so much. And I will speak to you guys in the next episode.